You take it off mute, doesn't it? All right, sorry about that. So then I may have been live the whole time. Hopefully they had me muted up there. Otherwise, you heard me singing. It wasn't a pretty thing. Um, But let's do this. Let's pray for First Baptist Church of Southern. Let's pray for Pastor Frank and his wife, um, who not only lost their daughter last weekend, but also lost much of their faith family. Um, At Friendship Baptist Church, security is very important to us. And just so you know, this morning when we are done, we would love for you, if you'd like to be a part of our security um, team we or our greeter team, we'd love for you to sign up for that out there. We're going to have some meetings in the coming weeks. We're going to have trainings in the coming weeks also. And so um, we need your help. And we would love for as many people a part of this faith family to be a part of that team as we possibly can have. Okay, let's pray together, though. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, and just lift up First Baptist Church of Sutherland to you. Father, we lift up Pastor Frank to you and his wife. Lord, we lift up every family that was affected by that horrific act last Sunday at about this time. And Father, we lift up that community. We lift up every first responder. And Father, we just ask, Lord Jesus, just for peace and comfort. Father, we thank you how the church, Father, the greater church, has rallied around that church to offer up strength and support and prayers. And Father, we just pray for them now, even as they are having worship services in that community this morning. Father, we pray that you'll just bless the preaching of your word there and here, and everywhere else. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series, or our sermon that we started last week entitled Christ and the Gentiles. Last week we looked at the time that Jesus left the geographical boundaries of Israel and went into the land of Canaan. We read of this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Um, We read, And Jesus went away from there, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Why did Jesus go away? We looked at that, but by way of review, it helps us as we review this because it sets up what we're going to talk about this morning. Jesus' time on earth is coming to an end. Political storm after political storm is occurring. There's three specific groups that are causing this, this, this storm that Jesus is experiencing right now. The first one being the people, the Jews. They're trying to take Jesus by force and crown him their earthly king. As we looked at a couple of weeks ago, following the feeding of the 5,000 plus the women and the children, the people are ready to take Jesus by force and appoint him king. And Jesus does not want to have any part of that. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to return and he is going to be crowned the king of this world. But the time was not right. As we looked at that week, Jesus came to be served, or to serve, not to be served. Also, the religious leaders are trying to kill Jesus. Matthew twelve fourteen says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him on how to destroy him. And then Herod was an enemy of Jesus and was instrumental in his death. So there's a lot that's going on within Jesus' life right now. 
facing the mounting opposition and pressure, Scripture tells us that Jesus withdrew. He withdrew from Galilee, and he heads northeast to the banks of the Mediterranean Sea, to the land of Canaan. There he encounters a Gentile woman. This woman had a daughter who was possessed with a demon. And so this woman approaches Jesus and wants Jesus to heal her daughter. Jews and Gentiles did not associate with one another. So that's a problem. The Jews saw anyone that was not a Jew as being inferior to them, and they even labeled them as dogs. Women and men did not associate with one another. There was another problem with this woman approaching Jesus. And in addition to that, the disciples did not like this woman, and so they begged Jesus to kick this woman to the curb. So there's a lot going on even within this woman's life. Even though she was not received well, and it appeared that Jesus was shunning her, she did not give up. Jesus was not shunning her. He was testing her. Then he was testing her faith. And as a result of her persistence, Jesus blessed her faith and healed her daughter. This morning, we're going to continue to see Jesus minister to the Gentiles. He will continue to show his disciples and subsequently us that he values everyone. He values both Jew and Gentile. He values every tribe, every nation, every race, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of the language that we speak. Jesus values us. Notice our message point this morning. It actually was our takeaway from last week, but I want us to be reminded here that we must ask until we receive. When we pray, we must seek until we find. And we need to knock until the door is open. These are very words that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 7, 7. It says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Point number one this morning is this. Jesus cares for the sick. Jesus care for the sick. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 31, we read this. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered, when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus is ministering to the Gentiles. But here we find him where we've seen him throughout much of our Matthew study. He's right back where he left on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. There's a difference, though. He is back on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, but this time he is not in the land of the Jews. He is actually in the land of the Gentiles. Mark's gospel tells us that he's, he's in the region of the Decapolis, located on the southeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a map up here, and you can kind of see where that is. Normally, he would be on the northwest, but here he's on the southeast in that land of the Decapolis, which made, which made up ten cities. And these cities were very, very pagan cities. Through excavation that's been done, there's been um, much um, revealed through that excavation. They worship the Greek gods. Greek god after Greek god. 
is who they worshipped. They did not worship the one true God, Yahweh. Even though this was a pagan land, I do want us to notice this morning that Jesus' fame was spreading within this pagan land. His fame had been spreading amongst the Jews, but here we see that his fame is even spreading amongst the Gentiles. In Matthew chapter 4, even before Jesus went up on the Sermon Mount and delivered the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, we find Right here that Jesus' fame was spreading amongst those that lived in the region of the Decapolis. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, we read this. Then he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Many of the people were very familiar with Jesus already. already. Notice this. Before the crowds came to Jesus. We see this right here in Matthew chapter 4, that the crowds came to Jesus. But right here, we see Jesus going to the crowd in the Decapolis region. This is the beauty of our Lord. He came and he dwelt among us. Our God, the great I am, came and he dwelt among us, dwelt in our midst so that you and I can enter into an eternal relationship with him. What good news that is for us. Folks, Jesus still pursues a relationship with each and every one of us in this room. As we look here, At verses 29 and 30, this is what God's word says. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them. Why did Jesus sit down on that mountainside um, that day? I think it was to show all of the crowd that he is accessible. That anyone that wants to come unto him is able to do that. John 14, 6, one of my favorite verses as well as I'm sure many of yours. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus came and showed us as he dwelt among us that all of us are able to come unto him. That is what an invitation to That was an invitation to all of us to come unto him so that we could enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father. Notice also, notice Jesus' response to the needs of the people. In verses 30 and 31, we read, And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. Unlike many other miracles that we've witnessed through our study on the book of Matthew, there is no description that's given with each one of these miracles. There is no story associated with those that were being healed. However, notice that the 
people brought to Jesus the sickest of the sick. Jesus didn't go to, go to them here, okay? He came into that region, but the people brought to Jesus their sick. Who are these people? Who are these people that brought to Jesus their sick? We don't know. But as I was preparing for this message and began to think about who possibly are these people, these very people could be the ones that Jesus or that Matthew wrote about in Matthew chapter 4. These people could very well have been those that had already been healed by Jesus. These people could have been the ones that were lame at one time or blind at one time or deaf at one time or mute at one time. They could have also been those that had sat at the feet of Jesus as he delivered the Sermon on the Mount and as he um, went from city after city healing all of the people around Galilee. They could have witnessed him demonstrate his authority over Satan, over sickness, over death, over disease, over salvation, over nature. We don't know who they are, but what we do know is that the crowds who brought these people to Jesus saw in Jesus his ability to demonstrate all of the above things that we just mentioned. Had they not, they would never have brought their children to be healed. They would never have brought their spouses to be healed. They would not have brought their family members to be healed or the complete strangers that sat outside of their city streets and begged for, 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 for food or for money or whatever the case might be to Jesus. So the people are brought to Jesus and Jesus healed them right there on the spot. We're not told that Jesus checked their credentials. We're not told that he checked their um, pedigree or their bank accounts or their tithing records or called them to renounce anything or anyone. He simply healed them. And as a result, notice what happened next. Notice the worship of the people. In verse 31, we read, So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. John MacArthur in his commentary vividly writes this about this verse. It's not hard to imagine the cries for help that mingled with shouts of joy as some came to Jesus diseased and deformed while others were leaving healthy and whole. People who were sick went away cured. People who come, came with only one functioning arm or leg went away with two. People who came blind and deaf went away seeing and hearing. People who had never spoken a word were now shouting praises to Jesus. People who had never walked a step were now jumping and running for joy. It's amazing. That is supernatural. This right here is the God that we serve. He is able to make the lame walk, the blind seat, the mute speak, the deaf hear. That is the God that we serve today. You know, he takes broken people and he makes them whole. I'm going to show my age here if my receding hairline doesn't do that now, okay? Justin, hush, all right? You have no room to speak, buddy. None at all. Okay. How many of you are familiar with contemporary Christian artist Wayne Watson? 
I haven't heard a song by Wayne Watson probably in about 20 years, okay? So that tells you my age. But one of my favorite songs that, that he performed was this song called The Touch of the Master's Hand, which was based on a popular poem. And I want to read to you the lyrics of this, okay? As I read this to you, understand that God takes broken people and he makes them whole. And this is how this poem or song goes. It it says, well, it was battered and scarred and the auctioneer felt it was hardly worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. Well, it sure ain't much, but it's all we got left. I guess we ought to sell it too. Oh, now who start the bed on this old violin? Just one more and we'll be through. And then he cried, one, give me one dollar. Who will make it two? Only two dollars. Who will make it three? Three dollars twice. Now that's a good price, but who's going to bid for me? Raise up your hand now. Don't wait any longer. The auction's about to end. Who's got four, just one dollar more to bid on this old violin? Well, the air was hot and the people stood around as the sun was setting low. From the back of the crowd, a gray-haired man came forward, and he picked up the bow. He wiped the dust from the old violin, then he tightened up the strings. Then he played out a melody, pure and sweet, sweeter than the angels sing. And then the music stopped, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, he said, now what is my bid for this old violin? And he held it up with the bow. And then he cried out, one, give me 1,000, who will make it two? Two only, 2,000, who will make it three? 3,000 twice, now that's a good price. Come on, who's going to bid for me? And the people cried out, what made the change? We don't understand. Then the auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, it was a touch of the master's hand. You know, there's many a man whose life's out of tune, battered and scarred with sin, And he's auctioned cheap to a thankless world much like that old violin. Oh, but then the master comes. And that old foolish crown, they never understood. Then the auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, it was the touch. That's all it was. It was the touch of the master's hand. Those broken and battered lives were made whole by the touch of the master's hand. So too, if you are here this morning and you are broken, you too can be made whole by the master's hand. If you don't know Jesus, in just a few minutes, we're going to have an invitation. And I invite you to come so that you can be made whole by the touch of the master's hand. If you are a believer in this room, who is it that you need to go and bring to Jesus? Who is it that you and I know that's broken, that is in need of Jesus? Who do we need to go out and personally invite into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ so that their broken lives can be made whole by the touch of the master's hand? Notice our second point. Our second point is this. Jesus feeds the 4,000. In Matthew 15, 32 through 39, we read these words. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? 
they said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region at Megiddo. Notice the compassion of our Lord right here. In verse 32 again, it says, And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. Throughout our Matthew study, we've seen Jesus time after time demonstrate compassion for the crowd. And this word compassion comes from the Greek word that means splagnosomai. This word means so much more than just having an emotional feeling. A lot of times we'll say, well, I have compassion on this person. And we mean it more from an emotional state of being. But splagnitsamai is related to a noun meaning inward parts. You and I would refer to a person's inward parts as their guts. The literal meaning of compassion means a longing or a yearning from deep inside a person. When the biblical writers refer to the Lord's compassion, they are referring to a deep, internal, physical hurt. That's what Jesus had on this day when he looked out over this crowd. This crowd numbered 4,000 men plus women and children. We don't know how many thousands were there, but I mean, there were probably 12, 16, 20,000 people. And Jesus looked out over this crowd and he had compassion for them. You and I, too, must have compassion for the broken people that not only represent who we are as a church, but also those outside of the doors of this church. We need to have compassion for them. Notice also, notice Jesus' investment. We read here, on this day, Jesus did not just healed the people and send them on their way. But notice verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. For three days these people had been with Jesus. For three days, Jesus had healed probably every single one of them that were sick or broken. For three days. You and I struggle sometimes just to make it through an hour of worship, right? These people came into proximity of Jesus, and they feasted off of Jesus. Jesus had them feasting on the truth of his very word. Jesus said in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here's what it means that Jesus is the bread of life. Simple definition is this. It means that Jesus satisfies our spiritual hunger and he satisfies the deepest longing of our souls. For three days, these people that were in proximity of Jesus, their souls were satisfied. 
their physical and spiritual souls for three days being in proximity of Jesus were satisfied. He met their deepest needs and satisfied their greatest desires. That is exactly what he wants to do for each and every one of us in this place this morning. He wants us to feast on him. And if we do, he will meet our spiritual and our physical needs. So these people have been with Jesus for three days. They most likely had nothing to eat during those three days. This part of our, 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 of this passage really kind of, I find amazing. Notice what didn't happen here. The people that, far as we know, Scripture doesn't document, the people were not crying out from hunger pains after three days. They were not demanding that Jesus feed them. They were not demanding of the disciples that the disciples distribute food to them. They weren't demanding anything. But Jesus recognized in the people that they were beginning to wane. They were beginning, their hunger pains were beginning to take over. And the physical bodies were beginning to break down. And so what did Jesus do? He turns to his disciples and he asks them for food. If you've been walking through our Matthew series, you you remember just a chapter before this chapter, Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And now we find Jesus once again. He's about to feed 4,000 men plus women and children. You would think after the first feeding that the disciples would be like, oh yeah, Jesus is going to take seven loaves of bread and he's going to take a few fish and he's going to feed everybody here. Y'all just sit back and let's watch the miracle happen. It's not what happened, is it? The disciples doubted and they questioned Jesus. Where are we going to get this kind of food from? We read in verse 33 here, and the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a great crowd. Again, the disciples demonstrate their lack of faith, even though Jesus had already taken fewer loaves of bread and fewer fish and fed the multitudes. Notice here, let's look at the miracle. Let's look at Jesus' miracle. Let's read again in verses 34 through 39. It says this, And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. You know, believe it or not, there are many, many skeptics out there, people that claim to be Christians that doubt whether or not this, is, um, this miracle occurred. They want to say that, that it is the same miracle as when Jesus fed the 5,000. It's just documented a little bit differently here. I want you to know that this is a totally different miracle. The miracle has many differences. Notice the place is different. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he was on the banks 
of the western shore of Galilee. When Jesus fed the 4,000 men, he was on the eastern shore of Galilee. The audience was totally different. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he, he, there were, there, there, there were mainly Jews that were there. When Jesus fed the 4,000, it consisted mainly of Gentiles. The quantity of food was different. When the 5,000 were fed, how many loaves of bread were there? There were five. How many fish? There were two. When he fed the 4,000, there were seven loaves of bread, and then there was just a few fish. The days were different. When Jesus fed the 5,000, the people had been with Jesus for one day. When Jesus fed the 4,000, they had been with him for three days. The leftovers were different. When he fed the 5,000, there were 12 baskets left over. When he fed the 4,000, there were seven baskets left over. Difference after difference is documented between the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. If that's not enough, then we go over to the next chapter and we read these words from Jesus. We read in Matthew 16, verse 8, But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not under, or remember the five loaves and the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets were gathered? Clearly, totally different miracles. Why did Jesus perform a similar miracle twice? We know that Jesus could have satisfied the hunger pains of the crowd. He could have easily sent them home having met their physical needs, but he didn't. He wanted to make it clear that he can meet both physical and spiritual needs. Jesus, this morning, can meet your deepest needs. He can meet your physical needs, and he can meet your spiritual needs. You may be here this morning, and you feel as if you have this God-shaped void in your life. You don't know why you are going through life. You feel like you are literally just breathing in and exhaling, ex, exhaling air. You don't know why you're here. Man, you, you, you question every single day, what is my purpose in life? I want you to know right now that you were created for eternity. Every single one of us in this room, we were created for an eternal relationship with God the Father. Every one of us in this room. Then if you are here this morning, then you do not know Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Scripture is clear that we come to Jesus by first repenting of our sins and asking Jesus to forgive us of those sins and making literally an about face. The word repent is a military term that literally means to, to turn around, to make an about face, to turn away from this world and enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That is what Jesus can do for you this morning. He can take that old life, and he can give you a brand new life when you enter into a relationship with him. So we must repent of our sins. And then we also must confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior of our lives. And make a commitment that we're going to live our lives for him. Do you know Jesus this morning? If not, let me invite you to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make this morning. And when you do, guess what's going to happen? You're going to experience the exact same kind of worship that those that were broken, that were touched by the master's hands experienced in our focal passage this morning. They worshiped 
God the Father. In verse 31 again, I want to just reach back there just real quick. And it says, and they glorified the God of Israel. They glorified the God of Israel. You and I were created to glorify the God of Israel. We were created for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came because he loved you. And he loved me. And he loved those outside of the doors of this church. He loved them so much. God sent him to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. So that you and I through his resurrection and placing our faith and trust in him. Can enter into an eternal relationship with him. He came to save us. But he also as we've looked at over the past two weeks. He came to save every person on this earth. Both Jews and Gentiles. In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, we read of this promise. This is a great promise right here. There's going to come a day when both Jews and Gentiles are surrounded by, surrounded around the throne of God, and they are going to worship. We are going to worship. Notice what Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says. It says this, After this I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Oh, my friends, the Lord values all of us in this room. He values every person outside of the doors of this church, both black and white, both Hispanic and Asian. He values everyone. And you and I, too, must value them and must take the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Who do you need to bring to Jesus to be healed? Maybe physically healed? but most importantly, spiritually healed. All of us know people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and Jesus has called us to go to them, both Jews and Gentiles, every person, every language, every tribe. Who do you know that does not know Jesus Christ? You may be here this morning, and you don't know Jesus. You don't know if you were to die today where you would spend eternity. You don't know. If you don't know With absolute certainty this morning, I want to invite you in just a moment. We're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to invite you to come and surrender your life to Jesus. Repent of your sins and cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I'm going to be standing right here. Our praise team is going to be singing. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church a while. And the Lord is leading you to become a part of this faith family. If that's you, you come during this time of invitation as well. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, we come before you thanking you for being the great I am. Thanking you for being the bread of life. Thanking you for coming and providing a way that every man, woman, student, and child can enter into an eternal relationship with you. Father, all of us know people that do not have a relationship with you. All of us, in a matter of of days, are going to be surrounded 
by family members around a dinner table that do not have a relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that you will give us a great passion for the lost. Give us compassion for them. A compassion that moves us to act. Not just a compassion that causes us to have pity for somebody, but a compassion for the lost that causes us to move and to act and to actually do something about it. Father, I pray this morning that there's someone in this place that does not have a relationship with you, that this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make, and that is to repent of their sins and to cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior. Father, there may be some here this morning that has been visiting this church a while, and if that's the case, we invite them to come to make friendship their home. Father, just move now during our time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. If you need to come trust in Jesus, you come. If you need to come this this morning and join this church, you come as well. You come. You come now.